all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 20, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I hope that you guys are having a good day today. I feel really exhausted and tired today. It's it's your prototypical Monday. It's rainy and 63 outside in northern Florida, so it's a gloomy day. I just woke up feeling really exhausted today, and I know maybe that's just your prototypical Monday trait where it's like, oh, it's Monday. I have to go to work. I have to, you know, do some of the more unenjoyable things in in life after you come off a weekend of of having fun activities. And uh, I, I definitely feel that way this morning. I, it, everything was just a struggle, and I know that everybody has had these mornings one day or another. So I can under, I hope that you guys can understand what I'm talking about. But it's like everything was just irritable. I was very cranky. It's like, oh, my coffee is almost like I'm, I'm almost out of coffee creamer. Like, oh, my camera is 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 not focusing well enough. Like, oh, I don't feel like I'm prepared enough for this segment or that segment. It's like, oh. I've got work later today that I'm not really excited about, and it's just like, mentally, you're lying in bed, and you're just thinking about everything that you have to do today, and eventually you're going to have to get up and do those things, and now I'm up and out of bed, and I'm doing those things, so hey, that's the hard-headed sports uh, deep introspective uh, life talk of the week. Uh, Regardless, that's not what you're here for. You're here for, for some sports. I've got a really nice show today. Really more of a wrap-up show than anything else. A wrap-up show on a Monday, kind of a bit of an oxymoron, kind of a little bit of (laughs) a funny thing. Uh, But this this show really is focusing on a couple of things that kind of was swept under the media just a little bit last week. Something that I wanted to talk about but didn't have enough time or didn't feel like it fit the flow of the show that day. So we're going to have a bit of a wrap, a recap show today, talking about some things that I missed. Uh, one of those things being at the top of the show, we're going to talk about Big Ben and what his future is like in Pittsburgh, what the Pittsburgh Steelers really can uh, really can seem to gain for Big Ben uh, coming back and playing another season as opposed to retiring. And then we're going to talk about Cam Newton a little bit. He had a verbal sparring with a 15-year-old at his own football camp, but I think it's just for, I think that's comedy. There's obviously, there was a, a little bit of talk about what, you know, respect is and disrespect is. And I'm just thinking, man, kids just say the darndest things, don't they? Uh, this is the most non-news news that was that happened over the last couple of days, but I just found it funny, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Then we're going to have another episode of the Front Office Frenzy. I think we're on episode number seven now, if, I, if I'm correct about that. So we're getting up there in episodes. We still have a lot of more teams to go. Uh, you know, this segment, the Front Office Frenzy segment, was a segment that I'm like, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to be doing it frequently. And then <laughs> it's a lot of work. Like, it's a lot of mental work. To the point where it's like, man, we're only 17 teams in. It feels like I've done 15 teams at least already. But nonetheless, we're going to keep chugging on. We're going to continue to do that front office frenzy segment. And then we're going to talk about some breaking news that happened early early this morning, late last night. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have fired their head coach, Brian Saunders, and have already found a replacement uh, in Raptors assistant coach Ryan. Is it Ryan Finch? Chris Finch? I think it's Chris Finch. Let me scroll down to my nose, my notes. My notes really quickly, uh, Chris Finch. Yes. Okay. So they hired Chris Finch this morning. We're going to, I have a couple of, of mixed feelings about that. We're going to talk them out, uh, later on in the show, but to start the show today, uh, a lot of the news, well, to start the, well, let me just, let me just recap. So to start the show today, 
we're going to be talking a little bit about Big Ben and what his future is like in Pittsburgh. Again, this was kind of reported on earlier last week and intermittently. And it's something that I found really interesting to talk about because I don't think we would be having this conversation if the Steelers didn't completely collapse last season. And it, it's funny that we're talking about the future of a team that was a that was the best team in the NFL for legitimately 11 straight weeks last season. They were the best team in the NFL for 11 straight weeks, and then they absolutely collapsed. It was probably one of the biggest midseason collapses I think anybody has seen in recent memory. And I'm not talking about organizationally, because I think you can make the argument that the Philadelphia Eagles, the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, those teams have had gigantic organizational collapses faster than literally Thanos can snap his fingers. But in terms of... Uh, a, a, a player uh, or, or a team collapse like in the middle of the season. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020. And obviously, as you all know, they got bounced out of the wildcard round by the Cleveland Browns, which must have been humiliating for them. And now, instead of talking about what the Pittsburgh Steelers need to do to be able to get back into the playoffs, we're now more changing the discussion to saying, do you, are the Pittsburgh Steelers even going to be remotely close to making the playoffs? They've got a lot of financial decisions to make. They've got a lot of players that they should really think about whether or not they actually want those players to return. Literally one of the first videos I ever made with this podcast is talking about the Steelers image problem that they have and how they're a little bit too swaggery. They're a little bit too cool headed a lot about I'm, I'm better than you and I don't have to practice as hard that the general feeling that the Steelers were giving off towards the back end of the season about, you know, how they were presenting themselves. So they have a lot of decisions to make about the personnel that they want. And, and the financial decisions that they need to make. And one of those big financial decisions to bring this all the way back around is with big Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger has a ginormous cap hit coming up this season. I think it was something like, it, it's something ridiculous, like maybe $40 million. I don't know why the number $40 million is sticking out in my head. I hope that's correct. If, if not, um, it, it's a big cap hit. The important thing is it's a gigantic cap hit. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not the Pittsburgh Steelers would want to bring him back. Ben has already said that he is willing to restructure his contract to come play another season in Pittsburgh, uh, as opposed to retiring and just nixing the contract altogether. And the the question, the, the, there's a lot of questions that all revolve around the same question. And that question is, what is Pittsburgh really getting out of Big Ben Roethlisberger? What are they getting out of Big Ben that A, they can't get anywhere else, B, they can't sign, and C, uh, they, they, they just genu generally want? What, what are they getting out of Big Ben? And it's not necessarily financial security because he has a ginormous cap hit. He's going to take and rescratcher his contract a little bit, but that's not going to completely erase the massive amount that I'm sure excuse me, Big Ben is going to be want to be paid. In my mind, the, re the reason and the thing that keeps Big Ben in Pittsburgh is the reality that the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have to go and find a quarterback just yet. Big Ben is, is security in the now, in the sense that if you don't have Ben Roethlisberger in this upcoming season, you're going to have a quarterback that you're not comfortable with and probably isn't going to get you anywhere. And those quarterbacks are Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. The Pittsburgh Steelers really aren't in a position to go and trade for a quarterback at this point. At least I don't think so. It depends on what kind of salary cap that they can uh, muster over the next couple of weeks leading up till free agency and the start of the new uh, uh, NFL season. 
The Steelers really aren't in a position to trade. They really aren't in a position to go and sign a free agent quarterback. They might be able to say, sign somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick to a minimum veteran deal, about uh, $1 million. That is a viable option, but regardless of that, Big Ben really is a security blanket at this point, not financially, but in terms of the roster for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because the moment that the Pittsburgh Steelers move on for Ben Roethlisberger, regardless of the cap hit that he is bringing to the football team, the moment that the Steelers move on from Ben Roethlisberger, that is the moment that the rebuild officially starts for the Steelers. Because regardless of what you know, Big Ben was able to do the last couple of seasons, he was injured and he didn't play all that great last season. There are still, uh, he is still a better option than most quarterbacks are on the are, that are on the market currently. And truth be told, I don't have a lot of faith in Dwayne Haskins. I don't have any faith in Mason Rudolph. Nothing that he showed me while Big Ben was hurt the previous season showed me that he can be anywhere remotely close to a starting caliber quarterback. And that's idealistically what the Pittsburgh Steelers see as well. Regardless of the cap hit that the that Roethlisberger brings to the Steelers, and of course, again, it's really good to see, and it's very loyal of Ben Roethlisberger to be able to want to renegotiate his contract to be able to help the Steelers out in their financial troubles, but regardless of what that number is, Big Ben Roethlisberger is a security blanket and a an assurance that the Steelers don't have to go too far into the future just yet. And that comfortability, that ability to say, okay, let's focus on the now, let's continue to, let's, let's, let's stay in win now mode, that security and that feeling is really good for the front office, that's really good for the general manager, and that's really good for the culture of the football team. And that's the reason why you keep Big Ben around. It's not a regard. It's not a, a, a situation of well, can he still play? Well, is he going to have enough weapons? Well, is he going to be able to produce like we know that he could have in the past? And you know, the re the reality is is that maybe not. Maybe he can't produce at that same level. But it doesn't matter because what you're getting out of Big Ben Roethlisberger is another year of security it's another year of saying okay we don't have to make a decision right now like most teams have to do when a quarterback is on the verge of retirement we don't have to make a decision right now we don't have to trade anybody else we don't have to fiddle around with our cap space more than we already have to especially because the the Steelers again are in a bit of a contract or a cap space situation Big Ben brings that security, and that's why you keep him around. That is what Pittsburgh is keeping around Big Ben Roethlisberger for if they do consider and they do end up keeping him around. Because, again, the, the moves that the general office has, that the, the general manager in the front office has made has suggested that they're not exactly interested in bringing him back, but I think if you do, it's really just because there are no other options out there, and he brings you that security that at least you have a quarterback that knows the offense, you have a quarterback that is respected by his teammates, and you don't have to have a wasted season with a quarterback that is unproven or just plain not good enough. Because uh, I I don't think, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is definitely not proven. I don't think that he'd proved anything in his time in Washington. And Mason Rudolph has proved to me, or at least has shown me, that he's not really a starting caliber quarterback, regardless of what uh, offensive weapons he has, regardless of what uh, what kind of offensive line he has. So at the end of the day, what is Pittsburgh getting out of Big Ram Roethlisberger? They're getting security. And a security is very underrated aspect to... The, 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 the dynamics of building a, a good football team. So Cam Newton <laughs> got into a little bit of a uh, verbal sparring with a, a high school football player 
that was attending Cam Newton's own camp. And that's an important thing to keep in the mental database is that this was happening at Cam Newton's own football camp that he was putting on with his own money, yada, yada, yada. And uh, there was a viral video that went out on Twitter of, of the high school player and Cam Newton kind of throwing in uh, trash talking back and forth with one another. Uh, the kid was just sitting there yelling at Cam, hey, you're a free agent. You're a free agent. Nobody wants you. You're a free agent. And Cam Newton just said, who, who the, are, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Did you rub my lamp? Did you wake me up? Kind of thing like full genie from the Aladdin. Like, what are you talking to me right now? <laughs> or, or, or taxi driver for, for whatever generation you're from uh, taxi as well. Are you talking to me? Uh, Cam Newton went full. Are you talking to me on this kid? And you know said, Hey, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. So it was a back and forth. So it's like little kids saying, oh, you're a free agent, Cam Newton. I'm, I'm rich. I'm rich. Don't talk to me kind of thing. Um, and then Cam Newton came over and asked to speak to the, the high schooler's father. And, of course, everybody's pointing out the obvious, like, man, the disrespect of Cam Newton is real here. I mean, sure, in the context of what happened this past NFL season, Cam Newton probably shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, he's he's a bottom-of-the-barrel quarterback. He can't really play anymore at the level that people would expect him to be, considering that he was a number one overall pick. Uh, but regardless, Cam Newton is still a Heisman-winning quarterback. He took his team to a national championship game where they lost to Florida State. Um he is. He had an MVP caliber season. He uh, no, he did win the MVP. And regardless of all of that, yeah, he's made quite a lot of money playing football for a living. Whereas um, the kids made nothing. And um, you know, there the, the kid apologized on Twitter later, which I didn't, which I, I thought was good to see. Uh, even if it was a bit forced, I'm sure there was plenty of social pressure that that forced this kid to apologize, uh, even though it was just trash talking at the end of the day yeah it was disrespectful but i mean that's kind of the product of of the time that we're living in where the internet can make something so small and insignificant uh completely blow up into something that's probably more relevant than it should be and i just i mean there's no there's no real news here like it's not like i'm trying to express my opinion about a specific news um a specific aspect of this news like there's there's a take on this that nobody is saying no i mean the reality is is that two thoughts were going through my head with this situation. One is, man, kids just say the darndest things, don't they? I mean, I am 23 going on 24, and I'm sure that people that are like 27, 28, 29, they felt the same way as, as I do in this in aspect, where you're, you're finally growing up and you're taking a look at the generation behind you, and, they're, and you're like, man, these kids are ruthless. Like, these kids are absolute dogs. Like, they will go after you. They will say anything to you. They will trash talk you. They will go after you. And I'm like, and I'm sitting here thinking like, man, if, if my mom was there, she would smack the absolute you-know-what out of me. My mom actually used to take a bar of soap and wash my mouth out with it when I was, you know, t talking bad about somebody or I cursed at her or I cursed at somebody. And I'm just sitting here like, man, uh, I, I, would, <laughs> I would not call out Cam Newton if I was that kid. Like, I... That's something that just cognitively I would never think to do. And kids are vicious. But the other thought that I had, and this is really where I'm going with this segment, um, 
is that, man, it's really interesting to watch kids develop in their sport. It's it's really interesting to see how these kids develop mentally and physically. And that's one of the things that I love about covering college sports uh, for my real my real life job. I mean, this is my job uh, not not this is my side job. Well, of course, I'm, I'm covering sports at the same time as a writer. And I'm covering, you know, college athletics. And the really cool thing about covering college athletics is that you really get to see all these kids come in and turn into men. Like, that is the most satisfying thing to me. You get these young 18, 17, 19-year-old kids who are really just having the highest aspirations for themselves. You see them come into a program, uh, a collegiate program and at Florida State. That's, that's the one where I cover at. You see them come in with all these aspirations and these dreams, and you see them, you know, turn into men right before your eyes. But right before your eyes, and they all come from different backgrounds. Some of them poor, some of them rich, some of them, um, you know, may have not been as athletically gifted and have had to work hard for what they have. And some are just natural born athletes. It's it's interesting to watch and see them develop into. Um, young young men right before your eyes and it's interesting when you especially when you develop a relationship with these young players where you know they come in as a freshman and they're absolutely terrified to talk to you and by the time that they graduate you know they'll look at you and they'll answer you straight in the face because they know you they're comfortable uh, they'll give you better answers they'll 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 give you some insight into the team yada 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 and that's for whatever sport whether it's football basketball baseball um and, and that's the most interesting part to me. So, you know, a lot of people are go, are you know going really hard on this kid. And yeah, sure, what he did say was disrespectful. But I'm interested in how he learns from this experience, how he takes this and carries this over into college, where you know if he ends up going to a Division One college, where hey, the media is irrelevant, or not irrelevant, the the media is a relevant piece to your life, you're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to deal with them. You know, I'm curious how this is going to shape him. I'm curious how this is going to shape his maturity. I'm curious how this is going to shape him into a better football player. Uh, again, he issued an apology on Twitter, even though it was a little bit forced. Uh, I think he probably had a lot of social pressure with that decision. But still, uh, it's it's very interesting. And, th- and that was just my, my main thoughts coming out of this. Again, there's no blazing take here. There's no... Um, Something that anybody is missing, what he said was disrespectful, even though Cam Newton isn't exactly the world beater quarterback that he used to be. You still got to show respect for those that came before you, especially at their own camp. But uh, it's interesting how kids act these days and, and, and how, you know, this experience will will shape him moving forward if he ends up playing Division One uh, football, which I'm assuming that he, you know, if he's going to this camp and, he, and he's putting in the time and he's putting in the work, there's a very good chance that, you know, he does play Division One football somewhere. And it's interesting. Yeah, everything has an ebb and a flow and cause and effect, and you'll see that more and more if you, if you any of you go into sports journalism and about how how certain events accept, uh, uh, affect certain players, and it tells you a lot about where their mentality is at, what their work ethic is like. Uh, so you know, th- I, I'm interested to see how this young man develops. I'm interested to see, you know, how this shapes him moving into the future. So now it's time for the Front Office Frenzy segment, episode number seven, I believe it is. And if you're new here, uh, what the Front Office Frenzy segment is, is I pull a team out of random, out of this hat right here. You can see the names here. 
Um, I pull a team at random pretty much out of this hat every single time, and I have 15 minutes or less, give or take, to lay out a logical and reasonable game plan for that team to be in the playoffs this next season. I have minimal notes in front of me. I have the record uh, from last season. I have the cap space moving into this season, and as, as now the season is over... Uh, there will be a little bit of, of changes here or there because obviously this is all done at random. So a team might have already made moves to change their situation that I would have recommended. Uh, so the timeline may become a little defunct somewhere along the lines. But <clears throat> I have the record. I have the cap space. I have the draft picks in the next coming draft. And I have some small bullet points of information that I think is super important to know to help me guide me through the segment. Um, but other than that, everything is done off the top of my head. And today's team is going to be... Today's team is going to be... <clears throat> today's team is going to be... Oh, okay. The Chicago Bears. Oh, the Chicago Bears are an interesting team uh, because the Bears have had a problem in recent memory of having paralysis by analysis in the terms of where they have the, the position to do some really nice things with the organization, but they just seem to make no good moves or they seem to be making the wrong moves. Uh, and especially when it comes to recent memory with them kind of losing the Carson Wentz extravaganza, <laughs> even though I don't think that Carson gems is really that much of a gem. Uh, but the fact even so that, uh, they lost out on the Carson Wentz sweepstakes when they were, were in running for that, that would have solved their quarterback problem for a little bit. Yeah. It would have been really difficult to pull off because of the cap space. But regardless, if you're, if you're seeing what Indianapolis offered for Wentz and what they got in return, uh, and, and you see what the Eagles got for Carson Wentz, that trade easily could have been pulled off. Um, what you need to know about the bears, the bears were eight and eight in 2020. They made the playoffs only due to the change format, uh, that additional team was the Chicago Bears this season. Uh, they lost to the Saints in the wild card round where they looked like they were just being tossed around like a ragdoll. I mean, the score wasn't all that lopsided, but the Chicago Bears just did not look like they belonged there. Uh, they have negative $0.25 million in cap space, so they are above the cap according to over the cap. Uh, as I think I looked that up, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, so things might have changed there. Uh, five picks in the NFL draft this upcoming season. And yeah, that the, the, the synopsis of the Bears is really what I just said. They have paralysis by analysis. They are very much a team that is not necessarily in trouble financially. Sure, they're, they're um, uh, over the cap at this point, but once they get their carryover money from 2020, uh, they should be okay. Everything should work out evenly, and they're going to have to cut some players to generate some cap space to try and fix the team anyway. Uh, but they're not really a team that is really in any trouble financially uh, or talent-wise, especially on defense. They have they have a great defense. They have some uh, offensive pieces, but they do lack some direction. And that's kind of the feeling that you get coming out of Chicago is despite Matt Nagy being a good coach, they made the playoffs two out of three years. I think he's a good coach. I think he's the right coach in Chicago at this point. It's a team that organizationally, and especially in the front office, just does not really have a solid direction of where to go especially at quarterback. Uh, and sometimes that's a lot scarier than being a team that just has a lot of red in their ledger and has a lot of cap space to deal with. Um, 
The biggest problem in Chicago is by far the quarterback play, and that's nothing new if you're a Chicago Bears fan. I mean, you've been looking for uh, a new quarterback since Jim McMahon won a Super Bowl in, what, 1985? You've been looking for a new quarterback. Rex Grossman was probably Rex Grossman was probably the best quarterback you've had since. Um, and, um, you know, the reality is that Trubisky's not the answer. I think everybody knows that Trubisky is not the answer in Chicago. Neither is Nick Foles. So, the, the, but the issue is, is again, paralysis by analysis. The Chicago Bears aren't exactly in a situation to make any moves. And I feel like regardless of who they bring in, it's not going to be uh, anything substantial. Um, you know, Trubisky is a free agent. The odds that they sign him are actually, I think, quite high just because there, there, there is no real upgrade there that, that they can deal with. I mean, they could trade for somebody like Sam Darnold, which is actually, you know, along my lines of thinking this, maybe they probably should. Uh, but even if you bring in Sam Darnold, is he really going to be better than Trubisky? Is he really going to be that next quarterback for the Chicago Bears. The Chicago the Chicago Bears, again, have been looking for a quarterback for, you know, close to 30 years, 30 to 40 years. Uh, and it, it 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 just has not panned out for them. It just has not panned out for them. They failed to get Carson Wentz. Again, not that Carson Wentz is the primed gem of the NFL, but uh, if you look what the Colts got for Wentz, the trade, could, the trade could have been pulled off, especially if you worked around the cap space a little bit. And I, you know, I genuinely think that the odds of them re-signing Trubisky, as much as everybody knows that he is not the quarterback for the future, he's probably the best option that they have at this point because the Bears are kind of stuck in this limbo of of having no surefire direction. They're they are they're in win now mode, so to speak. Uh, that's what general manager uh, I forget his first name, but but Pace has said they're still in this win now mode. But again, it doesn't feel like they're in win now mode. Um, it, they have no direction as a football team. So I mean, I I, I would wager to say that Trubisky is probably going to be the starting quarterback next year. I I just don't think that the Bears are comfortable with drafting a quarterback in their slot. I don't think that they really can afford to do that because they have some other problems that they need to address. So reality is, is that they could trade for Sam Darnold if the Jets are going to be drafting a quarterback with their number two pick. But other than that, uh, the rest of the best you can get is maybe, you know, maybe Jacoby Brissett who's a free agent uh, from uh, Indianapolis. There are some options, but it's like, ah, God, there really aren't any big-named options that are left. And sure, everybody's saying Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, but the more and more this Deshaun Watson sweet state goes on, the more and more I'm convinced that the, the Texans just aren't going to trade him. As I thought at the very beginning, I'm like, there's no way that he gets traded. The Texans just have their claws in Deshaun Watson, and that's not going to happen. So the reality is, is that there is a huge quarterback problem in Chicago, and it cannot be fixed this season. And so my mind says, okay, re-sign Trubisky for another year. Do not sign him long-term because he's not the long-term answer. Nick Foles is there as well. He's not going to be the long-term answer either. You're going to have to wait a couple of seasons before you try and find another quarterback. Um, because even though you're in win-now mode, it doesn't feel like, in, in terms of where the quarterback is, uh, what the quarterback situation is, it feels like there's no direction there. And until you can find a direction, and you know the direction that you need to go, and that's the funny part, is that you need to, you know you need to move on to Trubisky, but, I mean, who, what else? What other options do you have at this point? Um, especially because you didn't get Carson Wentz. 
free agency wise, I think the Bears are monetarily fine. As I said, they're going to need to cut cut a couple people. Uh, Jimmy Graham, he had a good season, but he's getting kind of old. So you can save about seven million dollars by cutting Graham. Anthony Miller, I would assume, is is going to be cut, especially for his role that he played in getting ejected from the playoff game. I'd be surprised if Anthony Miller was back. Um, there were a couple of other players that I remember reading about that the Bears might want to move on from. Uh, Akeem Hicks is probably one that you might want to move on from if you're very spicy, if you're feeling really adventurous. And it really depends on how much cap space the Bears are going to want to free up this offseason. Uh, Akeem is 31, 32? He's 31 or 32. He's getting older. Uh, defensive tackles, you know... Once they start oh, get over that 30 hump, you know, their value significantly decreases. And uh, Akeem Hicks has a, can save you about $10 million if you cut him. And again, Akeem Hicks is probably one of the better players on that defense, but it would be worth moving on depending on how much cap space the Bears want to free up here. Uh, so cut Jimmy Graham, cut Anthony Miller. Uh, cut uh, Akeem Hicks if you're really interested in having more money. Again, it depends on how much money the Bears get back from the rollover and depends on where the 2021 salary cap is set. But you, the Bears are going to have to cut some people to get some space because the reality is that their offensive line needs to be repaired in some facet. Uh, they were Some of the offensive line was expensive and they didn't really play well. They started to play well during the end of the season, but it really didn't feel like they were all together there. So you're going to need to retool and refit the offensive line. Uh, as well, if you have Allen Robinson, who is a free agent moving on in free agency, like a lot of people think that he is going to move on, uh, I think the Bears should do everything that they can to re-sign Allen Robinson. But the reality is, is that he probably will sign somewhere else. So you're going to want to try and find a mid-tier signing that can help out uh, Mooney, who had a really good rookie season, but he's not quite ready to be a number one. Excuse me. So, uh, you know, maybe sign somebody like uh, Curtis Samuel from the Carolina Panthers, who had a really rejuvenating season. He's going to be a free agent. He is um, more of a slot guy at this point, but uh, that's that's a really good player that you can invest in. He's going to be a mid-level free agency signing. And then uh, use that cap space that you free up from uh, Jimmy Graham and 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 Anthony Miller and and Akeem Hicks if you do decide to move on from Hicks to get another offensive lineman because again the offensive line played really bad and then they played much better towards the end of the season. Granted, the competition wasn't that fantastic, uh, but you probably need to move in and out some offensive linemen, try and get an offensive line that's a little bit more uh, has a little bit more depth, is a little bit more um, manageable. So maybe somebody like a Austin Ryder, center from Kansas City. I think that would potentially be another on the cheaper side signing for the Chicago Bears. And then it really just depends on the draft if you're Chicago. Um, round one, I think the, the the Bears are picking number 20 uh, in this year's draft. You need to draft an offensive tackle. The Bears haven't drafted an offensive tackle in the first round in forever, it seems like. Um, mostly they go for their, their tackles in the later rounds. Uh, somebody like maybe like Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech, uh, really good tackle, potentially the best tackle in the draft. So that is a pick that you should definitely go for. Second round, you can find somebody to replace Allen Robinson in the second round. Uh, maybe somebody like um, uh, Rondell Moore from Purdue. Actually, that's not a bad idea. That is not a bad idea. So Rondell Moore is a very speedy guy coming out of Purdue. Very, very fast. 
I'm not sure about what his 40 time is specifically, but if you have him and Mooney, who is also a speedy guy, you can really use their speed over the top to open up some more things in the middles for some shorter passes for Trubitsky or whoever is going to be the quarterback uh, under center for the Chicago Bears. So if you have speed on the ends, that can really help out the, the and stretch open the offense for the Bears. I actually like that idea quite a bit. Uh, if you're moving on from Jimmy Graham, uh, they had a, they had another young tight end that played really well towards the end of the season. I don't remember his name, but that seems like a really interesting idea on offense. So if you can get the offensive line uh, in a little bit better shape, Cut out some of the more expensive offensive linemen that didn't perform well. Draft Christian Derisaw first round and then get a wide receiver second round along with a free agent signing of a wide receiver. The the, the Bears actually might be in a pretty decent shape. Again, that doesn't fix the, the quarterback situation. I don't think, like a lot of other teams, I don't think there's going to be a quarterback available in the first round that is going to be that that is going to justify drafting when the Bears have so many other things that they need to fill, and the Bears do have their third round pick as well. So I I would say if you're the Bears, you also might want to. Uh, draft another defensive tackle in the third round. Uh, maybe somebody like Jared Goldwire, who plays for Kentucky. No, he plays for Louisville. He plays for Louisville. Uh, he he has had a consistently increasing performance in pretty much every single season that he's had at Louisville. And he's somebody that can be a jack-of-all-trades player. Maybe he's a third-down rotational player that you uh, rotate with Akeem Hicks if you do keep Akeem Hicks. A uh, good rotational defensive line player adds some depth on the line. Can you know rush the passer a little bit? Can stop the run, and you know the Bears' defense is going to be pretty strong either way. I mean, any any you know any defense with Khalil Mack is going to be pretty good. I know that's a very casual interpretation of the defense, but the defense has been really carrying Chicago for the past three seasons anyway. Um, they're going to have a new defensive coordinator, so it's going to be interesting to see how that scheme plays out, but I would take probably defensive tackle, defensive end in the third round. They don't have a fourth round uh, pick, and I think that's it. I think that's it for the Chicago Bears. Again, another kind of difficult team. Uh, again, I was talking a lot about how the Bears are in paralysis by analysis. They've spent too long trying to decide whether or not Trubisky is the answer. And now Trubisky is pretty much the only answer uh, in terms of what they can do this next season. I think they'll have to wait to make a move on a quarterback. They have too, other, too many other things that they need to patch up and fix. Uh, so, you know, I think they re-signed Trubisky on a one-year deal. Everybody's going to hate it. Everybody is going to say, why are you signing a quarterback that you know is not going to be the future? And the reality is, is that they really don't have another choice. I mean, uh, Sam Darnold, a, a trade for Sam Darnold is something that I would endorse. That's something that I would be happy with if I'm a Chicago Bears fan. But there is no saying whether or not the Jets actually are going to move on from Darnold this season. Uh... So with that being said, I think that is the end of the front office frenzy for the Chicago Bears. That was the seventh edition of the front office frenzy. You can check out the playlist to watch the other renditions of this segment. You should tune in next time to figure out if we do your team next. Ah, oh, man, that, that segment is always a lot of talking. And recently I've been having some ventilation issues in my room to where it just becomes excruciatingly hot. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't help that I like to wear hoodies all the time. Uh, hoodies are like my favorite article of clothing. And I wear uh, this stuff all the time. And I end up just being ruthlessly hot by the end of that segment because I'm working myself up. I'm, I'm all flustered and everything. Uh, very, it, it gets very hot in here. So uh, I've been thinking about turning on a fan, but I know that it's going to mess with the mic quality, so we'll see. 
Uh, this is where we get into the kind of the recap version or, 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 or edition of the show here. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., I know we don't talk about baseball a lot on the show, but he had a massive contract delivered to him. He got paid uh, a whole lot of pay. A big payday for uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. last week. He got paid or signed to a 14-year, $340 million contract. That is the largest contract. That is the third, excuse me, the third largest contract in the history of the uh, Major League Baseball. The other two, if you want to take guests at home, were Mookie Betts with the Dodgers and then Mike Trout with the Angels. So third largest contract in team history. What does this mean for San Diego? And what does this mean for Fernando Tatis Jr.? Um, for, Tatis Jr. really has the potential to be the face of the, the league very, very soon. I mean, I think that crown is still held by Mike Trout. It'll be held by Mike Trout for years to come. But the reality is, is that Fernando Tatis Jr. is only 22 and he's still playing some of the most consistent and, and, and powerful baseball, especially at the shortstop position in the major leagues at the moment here. Uh, and really what the, the Padres are doing with this deal is they're solidifying themselves with Fernando Tatis Jr. as he ascends into his prime. And that's a scary thought to think about, is that Tatis Jr., apart from when he was injured early on, he's been playing so well and so consistently, and he's only 22, that you're you're locking up pretty much every single year into his prime and then beyond that. Because everybody is so fascinated with the big numbers. I remember when uh, Giancarlo Stanton got a, a gigantic... Uh, deal with the Marlins, something ridiculous like 13 years, however many hundred millions of dollars, and every to the to anybody besides the casual baseball fan, uh, the, these contracts obviously are not built to endure that type of length. I mean, very rarely do those contracts ever see you know the end of the book. Uh, these those players are either cut or or traded at that point. But what it really does is it's comfort it's it's comfort for the franchise that is signing him. And this is really the cool thing about money in baseball is that that money can just that 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 um number can pretty much be whatever it want. It it allows the franchise to be comfortable in their centerpieces and allows them to bring in other pieces. And that's really what the Padres are doing here with Fernando Tatis Jr. along with Manny Machado uh, along uh, <clears throat> excuse me. With a lot of other pieces that they brought in over a couple of years, the Padres have been slowly but surely getting more and more invested in their baseball team. They have one of the better farm systems in the MLB. Some would argue the best farm system in the MLB currently. Although uh, the the more that they trade away players, the more that they you know maneuver their prospects a little bit, it seems like they're they're kind of falling out of that a little bit. Uh, I have a friend who's a, a gigantic Padres fan, and I can tell you that he is extremely excited about what the Padres are doing. Um, but really, the, what again, what the Padres are doing is that they're securing the the prime years of Fernando Tatis Jr. with this gigantic uh, contract. And again, the contracts are not built to last all the way through. It's supposed to be a big number. It's supposed to add security to what the Padres want to build. And realistically speaking, with this signing of Fernando Tatis Jr. and securing the prime years of, of Tatis Jr., the, pad, the Padres have almost guaranteed themselves at least a couple of World Series appearances, if not a, a World Series pendant at some point. I, I, it's hard to it's hard to think that the the Padres won't win at some point. Um, I can really I can really see a a, a a rivalry brewing between the Dodgers and the Padres, where obviously those the Dodgers are always good. Um, 
they've they they won the the World Series and um you know the Padres are the kind of the team on the rise that's going to start battling in division for that crown with the Dodgers very very Boston Red Sox New York Yankees from circa like 2004 2005 etc cetera, etc cetera. I can see that being this decade's rivalry from years to come especially with the signing of Tatis Jr. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's hard to say whether or not, you know, the Padres will win multiple World Series, but I think that's really what this what this contract extension is. It's it's pushing all the the chips into the middle of the table for the Padres. The Padres have had made made big purchases before. Uh, this is their biggest purchase yet. Again, the third largest contract in MLB history. And the the Padres are just putting stock in the fact that they think Tatis Jr. is not only going to be the face of the league for years to come after Mike Trout starts to dwell off, that he's not only going to be one of the best shortstops in the game, he's going to be one of the best shortstops in history. And again, I don't think, I think Francisco Lindor is probably the best all-around shortstop at this point uh, in the league, but when it comes to pure hitting at the shortstop position, I think Tatis Jr. takes that crown. Again, it'll, it'll, the good thing about a 14-year contract is it, it takes injury into account, it locks up all the prime years of the player, and it adds security to the franchise uh, with that massive contract, with that massive number. Again, and I've said it a couple times, everybody wants to focus on the 14 years, and everybody knows that that I would be very surprised if Tatis Jr. spends all 14 of those contract years in San Diego. Uh, but that's the way that these baseball deals are done. The, the numbers are, are big. There is no salary cap in baseball, so you can do pretty much, as you can spend as much money as you want, uh, apart <laughs> apart from all those taxes that you're going to have to pay. But regardless, um, great for the Padres, great for Tatis Jr. I think he's probably one of the most exciting young players in the game, uh, kind of like uh, Her uh, Soto in in Washington, and as well as uh, uh, Acuna Jr. in in uh, uh, Atlanta, Vladimir Guerrero in, in, in Toronto. There's a lot of really nice players that are going to get some big paydays soon. So good for Tatis Jr. Uh, the Padres are going all in. They're banking on the fact that he's going to be a star for the next 10 years at the very least. So uh, it's good to see the Padres get some investment in their players. We'll see if they can actually get a World Series pendant out of it. And finally, to end the show today, talk a little bit about some breaking news. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders late last night. I remember getting my ESPN notification about this really, really late, uh, close to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when I was uh, writing for the show today. Uh, and I was really surprised to see this. I think if there was any year in which coaches had leashes, it would be this year. Um and to, to that point, I was really surprised that the Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders. And, of course, they ended up uh, hiring Chris Finch early this morning. They aren't even going to have an interim head coach right out the rest of the season. Which, <sighs> I mean, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. Because do I think Ryan Saunders was the, the best coach in the NBA? Clearly not. I mean, he was only like, what, 47 and, and 90, 45 and 97 uh, as, a, as a head coach in uh, his two or three seasons with the Timberwolves. Um, I, I just, I, it, it's not that he's a bad coach. It's not like he's a good coach either, but to, to hire somebody in a shortened season in which COVID is bringing players in and out. I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been absolutely ravaged by health and safety protocols this season to also have one of your star players in D'Angelo Russell out with a knee surgery. I don't understand this firing. I don't, and I don't also understand the hiring of Chris Finch the day after. 
you know, I can understand that you don't want to play a full season with an interim head coach uh, under normal circumstances, but I don't realistically see why you think you're going to get better results by starting now with this head coach who's playing with the older head coach, with the, the previous head coach's staff in a season in which players are always going to be interchangeable, whether out to COVID, whether out to health and safety protocol, regardless of that. I mean, Ryan Saunders only had both his stars in, in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor, like maybe five times, five games. That's it. I remember reading that in the article, five games is all that Ryan Saunders got with his two stars on the floor. Um, this is why teams like Minnesota are, are, are perennially just wastelands for basketball. Uh, it's teams that you'll always find in the top 10. They're always going to be in the bottom third of the league. And this is why I, I don't understand why they're making this decision. It makes no sense. It's not like there's going to be a, a long season ahead uh, of the team in which an interim uh, head coach would really just be filling that void until you find a, a, a coach with a new direction. Uh, there aren't really that many games left, especially with the all-star break coming up. And it's not even really that much of a break there. It's, it's a shortened season. Uh, t players are going to be in and out, as I said, and the justification for firing Ryan Saunders in this season out of all seasons is, and in the middle of the season, no less is, is confusing to me. This, these are the decisions as to, and these are the decisions that you point to when you say, why aren't uh, bottom third teams of the Minnesota Timberwolves getting better? This is, you know, some of the, the, the mind-boggling decisions that forced Jimmy Butler out of Minnesota. It's kind of the mind-boggling decisions that have made Carl Anthony Towns kind of stuck in Minnesota. I think Cat uh, is one of those uh, players that is going to fight their way out of their contract soon. I think he wants out of Minnesota uh, eventually. And these type of decisions, changing head coaches in the middle of a pandemic-filled, inconsistent, injury-riddled season in which... Sure, he's not the best coach in the NBA. He's not the worst coach in the NBA. But you can definitely say without a shadow of a doubt that the Minnesota Timberwolves' struggles through this season are not strictly on Ryan Saunders. Decisions to fire coaches like this are what keep franchises in the bottom third of the league. Consistency is everything in basketball. Anybody can tell you that. Consistency is so key. Um, and even in a game when you have you know your ups and downs, to have consistency, especially in a season like this, is is almost miraculous. So the fact to say that, well, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves are having a bad season, they're not, they're they're being consistently bad. I you really cannot blame that on Ryan Saunders. And I don't I don't like the firing as much as I can understand that he's not the best coach in the NBA uh, by far. I I just don't understand the timing. I guess I guess that's what it all comes down to is I just don't understand the timing of this move. Maybe some of my some maybe some of you in the, you know who are listening to the podcast and are on YouTube have a better understanding of why a team would do this. Uh, I really enjoy basketball, but obviously it's not my main sport. Um, I'm very knowledgeable, but still there are some things that maybe I don't quite understand. Maybe you can let me know as to maybe a piece that I'm missing in all this because where I'm sitting, it's just like the timing makes no sense here. The timing makes absolute no sense, and to make the argument that, okay, you're getting an early start on hiring Chris Finch, who you want to be uh, the, the next head coach, which, by the way, the general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Chris Finch already had a previous relationship, so it really seems like a takeover or a coup more than anything else. Um, 
the the argument that they would be making as getting an early start with a new head coach with the foundation of you know the core that they have because they do have a pretty good core. Uh, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell went healthy. Like that's a pretty decent starting uh, lineup right there for the Timberwolves. And to make the argument that you're getting an early start in implementing the new head coach's culture makes no sense. You have the old coach's coaching staff. You're still going to be running into the same problems that the old coach was having with COVID and health and safety protocols. And just to say that you don't want an interim head coach for the rest of the season to get an early head start, like it just makes no sense. It makes no sense. The timing makes no sense no matter which way you cut the cookie. And this is exactly why teams like the Timberwolves are going to be in the bottom half of the league and have been in the bottom half of the league since, you know, Kevin Garnett was traded to the Boston Celtics. Uh, They just aren't going to be good in any time soon. And decisions like these is absolutely the reason why. So that is the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, we had a really bad morning this morning, uh, just in terms of trying to get up and get ready to do the show, but we fought through it. Uh, Obviously, this will be up on Spotify within the hour. The highlights on YouTube will be posted later. Thank you all so much for watching. As always, watching and listening. I will see you back hopefully on Wednesday with some more sports, some more hard-headed takes. So on behalf of me, Nick Ryan, you've been listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. Stay hard-headed. But have a nice day.